and you're very welcome to the Christian Union Ireland podcast, uh, where we aim to equip and inspire students for work on campus. But today we have a very special, um, very special episode. Uh, this is specifically for church workers, uh, people who work with students who are passionate about uh, reaching students um, and training students. Um, so you're very welcome to join us. Uh, we have a very special guest today. But first, I'll introduce you to um, my colleague Chris. Uh, Chris McBurney is the team leader in the north uh, with Christian Unions Ireland. Um, my name is Isabel. I'm a staff worker in Waterford uh, in the Republic of Ireland. Um, and I'm going to hand over to Chris. Yeah, I should know I'm not the very special guest. But yeah, no, I'm Chris um, and I work for CUI in the north of the island. Uh, I'm the, yeah, don't worry, don't worry. I, I'm used to being not special. Uh, but I'm the northern team leader uh, in, in CUI. But I also work with Queen's University Belfast as well. Um, but we also have uh, with us Pete Dre. Um, Pete, uh, we worked together for a little bit in, in UCCF, um, Universities and Colleges Christian Fellowship back in the day. But um, you join us, I believe, from, from Leeds. Um, is that correct? That's right. Yeah, I'm sat in my uh, attic room uh, in Leeds. My two very noisy children are about to get back from school. Yeah. So we, Leeds is made quite a lot of waves over here recently you know getting promoted and um apparently about half of northern ireland seem to be lead supporters and i do know that there's a number of people who may be listening to this podcast who are arborant leeds fans and have made twitter very much know that uh, they are lead supporters at the minute um i'm going to claim they've come out of the closet but you know <laughs> yeah it's a wonderful time to be here we have a real sense of optimism which i think will last at least a few weeks and <laughs> um, so Peter Dre, you are um the head of creative evangelism in uccf is that right so okay when i heard that the first thing i thought of this is probably horribly offensive i thought of like a mime uh creative evangelism in my head is just like there must be some sort of dressing up or puppet element totally wrong but could you give us just like maybe walk us through a day in the life of a head of creative evangelism yeah the the thought behind my role really is uh, that it, certainly here in the uk uh, higher education is really diversifying. Uh, so the experience of somebody when they go off to college or university is, is really, there isn't a one size fits all anymore. And so my job really is to get alongside our staff and our students and to help them think really creatively about their context. What does it mean to hold on to uh, the, the gospel uh, faithfully, but also to live and speak in such a way uh, that uh, we really um, scratch where people are itching and so yeah that it's, it's a dream to be able to work with often some quite creatively minded people and to pl plan and to pray and to plot together about uh, making Jesus known in, in a variety of contexts. That is fabulous. Um, Peter I know that you've had like a good bit of time uh, being able to research um, the student generation particularly but also you've spent like years now um, reaching students uh, with the gospel um, and that's what we're passionate about and um, so we just love to learn like a little bit of how you've um developed over the years what you're thinking is um and you've obviously studied yourself how long ago were you a, a student in university yeah i went to a university headed off as, as a fresher uh, 21 years ago 21 years ago okay and like we know that like we've seen it here culture is shifting dramatically um, and has shifted dramatically in that time since you were a student so i don't know i suppose what i'd love to hear is like um, if you could bring us into like Pete Dre's life as a student uh, 21 years ago in university, 
kind of what literally what it was like to be a student and then i'd just love to also walk through what it would be like to be a student now uh, in university yeah sure um i mean i i went uh, off to university uh as an 18 year old my dad was a pastor and a bible college lecturer i was really steeped in christianity from a young age i trusted jesus when maybe i was four years old but i didn't have very much of anything beyond really a four-year-old's understanding of the gospel <laughs> when i went uh, off to university i don't think that was anyone's fault um i've never really had any christian peers or friends um and so university was absolutely transformative for me um in god's sovereignty i was placed in my first year hall of residence there are a few of us that were first years but nearly everyone were third year lawyers who would just argue anything I know you'd say that your favorite color was red and they would argue and argue and argue with you until you finally backed down and said, no, you're right, it's blue. And uh, early on in, in the term, uh, in fact, I think it was in the first week, we were sat uh, in the corridor late at night and they said, okay, then uh, let's talk about religion. What religion are you? And so the first person said, oh, I'm agnostic. And everybody sort of sagely nodded. Oh, yes, that's a good answer. Yeah. The next person said, oh, do you know what? I like to think of myself as, agnostic to third person agnostic came around to me i was like i can see where this is going <laughs> peter what about you uh what, what religion are you i said oh do you know what? i um i'm a christian and one of these third year lawyers smelt fresh meat and uh, he got a little glint in his eye and said why are you a christian and to be honest i'd not really been used to expressing anything like that at all and i couldn't really give an answer i just you know, stumbled out a few words and, uh, and, and it was being cheeky and it, and it wasn't unkind, but it was with a glint in his eye. He just said, you know, you're pathetic. You're only a Christ Christian because your parents are Christians. And I tried to argue my case, but it, hey, you know, really hit me now. I've replayed that conversation loads of times now. I should have said to him, look, you're probably only agnostic because your parents are agnostic. But that was the beginning of a journey into really thinking seriously about um, truth and, you know, away from my parents' eyes and family heritage, uh, what I was going to live for at university. And, and, and that's true, I think, lots of people who come from, from Christian backgrounds, Christian families. And it, was, it, it really was the beginning of a journey. I got swept into a wonderful church at, uh, at university, a wonderful Christian union such that I grew in confidence that not only the gospel was true, that Jesus was totally trustworthy, but actually it was phenomenal news that was worth sharing as well. Now, back in 1999, it was totally different. Um, and particularly after 9-11, which happened exactly halfway through my degree, um, the idea of any sort of claim to religious truth was viewed with lots of hostility. And even those who up to that point would have been relatively apathetic, became more hostile. I, I guess I've been in student ministry all of the time since. That increased, certainly in, in um, Great Britain for the years that followed. Got some of those kind of more aggressive voices who not only said that Christianity is wrong, but also that it's dangerous. Uh, you know, the kind of Richard Dawkins folk who, who were popular here uh, seven, eight years ago. Now I think it's just, it's very different. And the average student that you meet um, 
not only is not a Christian, but the average person who arrives at university has never had a Christian friend. Only one in six of them has ever been to a church service before, other than um, a, a christening, a, a wedding or a funeral. And, and so therefore, Christianity isn't kind of, kind of home turf anymore. Um, but what I see amongst lots of students today is that they're incredibly dissatisfied with the agnosticism or the atheism that would have been quite cool when I was a student or even uh, a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds really similar. When I uh, was a student in 2009 studying in Cork, like my big objection to Christianity was like, my parents are Christian. How could I possibly? It's so like anti-intellectual to just follow along. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, that was definitely like the big argument. But um, and so I suppose like the worst that I would have feared is that I'd be thought of as an idiot. Um, but like, what do you think students now um, like sharing their faith or, you know, imagine them all sitting down in their dorm like you did, back in the day, like going around and saying their worldviews, like, would that happen now? Do you think there's that kind of like willingness to share? And, and if, if so, like how would a student, a Christian student going into college feel um, in that conversation, in that setting? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. I I'd actually imagine that, that the average student wouldn't have that conversation, not because they're not interested in issues of religion and spirituality, but actually, and partly as a reaction to those kind of really aggressive voices that we had a few years ago, is they just, they're desperate not to offend people. So one of the things I hear very often on campus is, look, I don't mean to be offensive, but can I ask you this question? And it's often a really benign, genuine question. You think you're not offending me through asking me this question at all. Um, but, but one of the things we would find here is it's, it's, there's a, it's an assumption that it's impossible to talk about. And, and particularly, it's impossible to disagree about things that really matter without being hurtful or hateful. Um, and so my perception is that students are talking more about issues that directly impact on the gospel and issues that ultimately Jesus can only satisfyingly answer. But it's not necessarily to Jesus or to Christianity or even to religion that they're first looking for those answers. Um, I, I, I'll tell you a story. I had a, um, a conversation with um, a student a few years ago. I'd just given a lunchtime evangelistic talk, came up to me, had his hand out to shake mine. And he said, my name is Nathan and I'm a reluctant atheist. And um, we got talking. And I said, well, what, what do you mean by that? He said, well, um, I'm reluctant in my atheism because and he gave me a whole long list of answers. Uh, intellectually, existentially, he knew that atheism was bankrupt. I said, mate, if, if you've got all of these reasons, then why do you still describe yourself as an atheist at all, even if you are reluctant? And at that point, it was this big kind of deep body sigh that came out. He said, well, it's as if I feel as though I've been walking down a road and I've got to the end. It's a dead end. But simply through getting to a dead end doesn't tell you where to go. And I would rather be an atheist than to throw my brain away, as it were, and to grasp onto something just because I'm in need of hope. I've told that story lots of times, actually, and every single time I've told it publicly, somebody's come up to me at the end and said, oh, you know that person who described themselves as a reluctant atheist? That's me. I'm a reluctant atheist as well. I, I know that atheism isn't the right way to go, but I'm 
I don't know where to turn and I don't want to hold, grasp hold of something just as a comfort blanket. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that's relatively common, uh, certainly here in, in, in England at the moment. Do you think, you know, just to hear what you're saying there, Pete, about, you know, kind of the context of students coming to university and things and that change in them. Have you have you seen a similar trend or change in, in Christian students or how do you think they've been affected by some of those changes? Because you know, although we all really want to see a picture of what that looked like in 1999 in your hall, Pete, with you sitting in there and what you were wearing, I think, will leave to our imagination. But do you think the Christian student has had has had a shift as well in that in that time? And have have you know the way that society's changed? As you're saying, the student that you find now at university has that. Uh, do we do we see any correlation there, or what does that look like? Oh, totally. I think um, Christians feel that. A, a very similar pressure to those who, who aren't Christian or who aren't sure whether or not they're Christian. One of the things that the average student arriving at college or university now knows is that there are bright people who see the world very differently to them. And therefore, the average Christian who comes up, even if they're quite, um, yeah, they've got quite deep foundations in the gospel, is the nagging thought at the back of the mind, but I could be wrong, because there are very bright people um, who, who are not believers. Um, the, the kind of pluralism of our, of our culture means that, that they think they could be wrong. And, and similarly, I think uh, those who aren't Christian or who aren't religious think, particularly when they meet well-informed religious believers, oh, I could be wrong. And, and therefore all of us carry around, uh, we're much more um, familiar with the category of doubt um, than, than, than we would have been previously. I think where our culture is now is the way that we speak into those doubts is quite um, interesting too. Um, so as Christian believers, we know that the kind of intellectual rational foundation of the gospel is really important, uh, but it's not enough and um and therefore um part of i think our work with students is is to get confidence in in the rational foundation of the gospel you know the bible really is trustworthy the tomb really was empty but also to think yeah and christianity makes more sense of what life yeah. really feels like than anything else as well of love of grief of beauty um and actually, I think today's students need all of those in order to have a really deep conviction um, that the gospel is is true and that Jesus is worth sharing. It reminds me of some students, um, Peter, that I'm working with the last couple of years. And it seems that the more um, it's not necessarily knowing a huge amount that makes them more confident. But it seems to be and that, that does help. It's essential. But um it seems like their foundation in Christ as the one who's trustworthy uh, seems to actually free them then to to be able to like have convictions about things. So it's like the resources within Christianity actually make a lot of sense of our unknown sometimes and of our kind of not fully answered uh, questions. Um, but yeah, there seems to be like resources within Christianity that can actually speak to our culture's tendencies of doubt. Um, oh yeah absolutely that's right i think even when it comes to making sense of our doubt christianity yeah. gives us a more engaging story than than the, the others that are out there yeah i guess it's it's fun to think about like how can you know 
us as student workers and church workers and all the people listening, like how can we uh, encourage students to, I suppose, delve into the resources that Christianity does have? Um, mm. I don't know, have you seen, like, have you seen students really grab a hold of that in the last few years? Yeah, I think so. I think I've reflected quite critically upon my own student ministry and particularly when there were those aggressive atheist voices that, that were deliberately trying to make Christians feel very small. Um, the tone of our evangelism and even the tone of our discipleship took on some echoes of that sort of discourse. And so because the challenges were quite legal in tone, bam, 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 here's all of this evidence, you're stupid. In part, I think, it was understandable that um, a lot of our own evangelism and, and our teaching of Christians was also quite legal in tone. Okay. Yeah. Here's this argument, but have you thought about this loophole? Oh, but you haven't thought about this piece of evidence. And it also became a little legal in tone and, and, and was very kind of it, it, almost, I think we took on the, the basis of the arguments that were being brought against Christianity. Now, some of that was understandable. Some of it, I think now, I, I, and I'm not pointing the finger at anyone because this is me, um, just ceded too much ground um, to, you know, so we, we had an idea that unless the evidence that we're providing is quite empirical and rationalistic, it doesn't count. Now, as culture has shifted, I think that's meant that Christians now in our evangelism and apologetics, we're aware that we have the opportunity to demonstrate the gospel's appeal in a whole number of areas, not just in this important rational intellectual, intellectual basis, but also the fact that Christianity makes sense of what life really feels like, but also a kind of relational side of things as well. And so where I think we're at now is we have the opportunity to demonstrate the coherence of the gospel through multiple means as if we have a whole armory of weapons that we can use that's an opportunity but it's also a challenge because i think if we if either we offer a very good argument but it's not but in terms of emotional coherence or a kind of relational aesthetic side today's students aren't persuaded by a good intellectual argument it just sounds shrill equally and this is where I think some Christians go wrong is they throw out the, the arguments entirely and just offer a warm welcome and, 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 and a beautiful setting, which doesn't offer anything distinctive. And, and so therefore, I think we're at quite a unique time of making Jesus known together, where the culture will allow us to make appeals at multiple levels, but also to some extent demands that we make um uh appeals at multiple levels and so it's exhausting it's tiring we're we're starting with people who are a long way back um obviously there's a spiritual dimension to it as well but i also find it incredibly exciting um that, that we people are coming to meet jesus by all number of different paths uh and that i find that quite thrilling mm. I think something that's coming to my head here, Pete, because, you know, again, thinking about, you know, where we are in our context in this, you know, Isabel's in my role in different parts of this island are to try and support students in standing up in that context in this, you know, as you say, there's incredible opportunities for mission right now. And I think, you know, we've seen so many of them in our own lives or in friends' lives or 
you know, even the other day, it was last week, I just met with a student whose friend approached him and was like, I just, I just think I want, I, I want to understand your faith better. And there's suddenly these opportunities in ways that we haven't seen maybe in, in the last few years. And, but there, there's a question here, because I know that for ourselves and, you know, taking Isabel and I and a lot of people who are going to be on this um, call here, you know, what does it look like for us in our ministry to then be supporting students to stand up and to live in that context? Because they have so many of these different pressures coming in. You know, there's such a fear. Um, I don't know about you, but I hear a lot about the number of students that are falling away when they come to university who aren't able to stand up. What do you think it looks like to try and support them in, in, in everything that you've said and all of these challenges there? But then even, you know, acknowledging the difference that we've just seen in the last six months in the middle of a pandemic you know there's suddenly i feel like deeply insecure and inferior here pete you know <laughs> well i know that feeling i know that feeling entirely i think for me there are there are three absolutely key elements that that as student ministers as pastors we need to hold to um and which we we want to um we need to instill in our students one is the fact that ultimately this is a spiritual battle and therefore you know we march on our knees and uh what's needed isn't a new method it isn't a new argument um it isn't a new model um primarily uh, we're in a spiritual battle and therefore you know there's a, a call to pray um we mm. recognize that the culture is going to be much better at forming our hearts that we are to be able to change the culture and therefore there's a need for, for a deep discipleship to Jesus, a trust in him, a love for him. That's the yeah. first element, the kind of spiritual side of things. The second element, I think, is the idea that, that we just need to, um, we can't all be cultural, we can't all be experts at cultural analysis, but I think we all need to be able to at least be aware of some of the assumptions that undergirds what's going on in broader British Irish culture, which causes us to value things in the way that we do and see things in the way that we do. Mm. And, and that's vital for discipleship, uh, because we all uh, drink the same water and breathe the same air as the culture around us. But also evangelistically, that's vital as well. So I think even just being able to ask good questions of the culture, and mm. to understand something of the assumptions upon which um, decisions are being made uh, is 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 vital um and then i think that the third aspect uh, is probably just being able to be really good listeners not now only listeners to the culture but particularly listeners to um to those around us who who may uh, see the world in a very different way to us who may hold a very different worldview who may have a very different way of relating to the living God. Um, my my temptation when I was a student, when I met somebody of a different religion or a different background, was to think, ah, I've read a book on what you believe. I know exactly what I need to ask you. I'm going to take you down. And the reality, of course, is that um, you know, if, if you read a, a book about Christianity, there'd be certain things that people be able to juice about Isabel and Chris and, and Pete, but there'd be a whole number of things that they wouldn't know. Mm. And so actually just to be able to slow down and to be able, able to ask questions 
that, that cause us all to be able to start seeing the world through the eyes of those around us is, is very helpful. There's a guy in London who's been quite influential in mentoring me in evangelism. And he says, with our close friends who are not believers, after about six months of being around them, we ought to be able to write their spiritual biography. Wow. You know, in, in, in other words, we, we, we know what makes them tick. We, we, we've, we've, we've asked deep, deep enough questions that cause us to know, you know, why they see the world in the way that they, way that they do, you know, under, under God. And, and that's something that I think all of us can learn to do. Uh, partly that comes through just asking God, the Holy Spirit to make us interested in people. And partly I think it does just mean in a non-intense way, taking real interest in our friends' lives mm. um, to understand uh, what makes them tick. Um, I, I, and, you know, not only is that a great gift of friendship, but also I think is is absolutely the basis on, upon which we're then able to share the gospel in, in a way that, that, that resonates uh, with, with them in their hearts. That's, those, those are really, really helpful. Like, I, I think, <laughs> so I, re I really like your idea about spiritual biography. I think that was really, really helpful. I've learned enough in the last, like, period of time that no matter how many books you read on marriage, it does not mean you have a great marriage. I'm not trying to publicly say my marriage is a sham, but uh, I think that's a, that's a really helpful idea. Um, something, Pete, that might be really helpful, though, you mentioned this kind of, you know, your first point there, you know, spiritual bath, you know, discipleship. I say spiritual bath, maybe you didn't say that. I've just written it down really bad. You didn't say that, Chris. You made that one up. I didn't say that. <laughs> Chris, I, that's what me reading this is saying spiritual bath, but this deep, this idea of deep discipleship, I, I still went with it. I remember reading uh, Michael Green on um, the mission of the church and he talks about you know your bath and mission bath and I think I just live in that world now and maybe that's why I just assumed that's what it meant um, but looking at this idea of like deep discipleship I think a number of people I've chatted to here up in Belfast we've acknowledged some of this challenge here that maybe our students are not wanting that in the same way they have done or the access to them is not the same so you know whether that's commitment to church or anything like that and even and you know pete maybe even if you could speak in a little bit to where we are now i know that um a lot of churches are pondering will their students that were attending will they come back they haven't seen them they haven't signed up to register to attend the service um you know what what do you think that looks like for our modern day student or igen or gen z student but even even in this term ahead how how do we do deep discipleship pete uh i mean it it, it's it's a it's a hard question isn't it and i think we're going to feel our way forward to some extent um yeah, in all of this um the short the short answer i think um well let me back up before i i give the uh, yeah an answer more specifically one of the most helpful things i read on uh, crisis essentially said that um what crisis does in the, at least in the short to medium term, is it takes every pre-existing trend and it accentuates or it amplifies it. Mm. Now, what, what does that mean for church? I, I think it is going to mean that, sadly, um, evangelical believers, we were already pretty consumeristic about church. We're going to be more consumeristic than ever about church going forward. Um, we were already um, drawn to a kind of pick and mix 
uh, way, you know, of relating to, um, to, to churches. I, I, sadly, I think we're going to see all the more of that. Please, uh, do you mind me jumping in? Is that like, I mean, from what I've seen, it's the kind of, I'm not going to go to my church. I might go to like a few services down the road online or like jump in in America and some service, that kind of thing. Is it? Totally. Exactly yeah. that. Exactly that. So, you know, we would have, we would have, sadly, we would have heard that a bit from students, I think, before lockdown. I think we're going to see that all the more going forward. Um, and so there are, there are deep challenges there. Um, at the same time, I, and it seems to me that this is pretty much always the way that the New Testament deals with deficient understanding or false teaching. It's not so much normally to go in and lambast the false teaching. That does sometimes happen. Paul does that at the beginning of Galatians. Nearly every other book letter that he writes, though, you think about Colossians, Ephesians, a whole number of things. He'll hold up what the authentic beauty of the gospel is and basically encourage people to, to to see and to taste and enjoy it and then hold up the other thing and say Look, do you really want this this is so dishonoring to god isn't it this is so deficient and therefore i think what we need to try and do in in whatever way we can this term is to give students enough of a taste of satisfying deep discipleship such that then they realize that dropping in and out of church services here and there or you know the the, the quiet time by text it's just not very satisfying anymore um and and therefore i think rather than being too critical um and just saying look you, what you're doing there is totally wrong that there may be a time in which you have to say look your practices are not helping you but first of all let's positively try and give students a, a sense of deeper more satisfying discipleship which takes them and their questions seriously which wants to hear about their doubts which takes their experiences seriously many of which they'll have kept to themselves during this period of, of more isolation which is brain engaged heart engaged emotion engaged which gives them um something of a vision for their lives so so then oh yeah actually it's pretty pathetic isn't it what i was looking at before you know you give somebody steak and then they, they realized that, um, you know, just living on Mars bars, whilst it was all right, wasn't enough. L you know, let, let's give people that sort of quality of, of discipleship. And if you're vegan, then you can substitute in <laughs> something different for steak. Um, that, no, that's, that's really, really yeah. helpful. Um, I suppose, Pete, you in your own ministry have, have been really wrestling with this. I know from some of the stuff I've heard and... and um, across the water um i suppose you, if you were able to you know expand a little bit about how have you gone about trying to implement that because you're not just saying this pete on a on a whim and telling us this is a lovely ideal but you tried to really wrestle with some of this and practice yourself this idea we're working with a new generation of students they may be a little bit maybe not quite as resilient as they used to be you know they're in the middle of this difficult thing we're trying to bring them into deep discipleship i suppose maybe it'd be helpful if you could expand a little bit about how you've physically started to do that and reorientate your ministry in this season yeah so i guess as an introductory comment one of the things that's really um formed my outlook uh, when it comes to christian formation is uh, the line in, in philippians 1 where paul talks about contending for the progress and joy of the philippian believers what does it mean to disciple someone well they make progress 
In other words, there's something noticeable and dynamic that's going on in their life. And Paul links that to joy. And so therefore, what is going to lead to mission, to, um, to people to, to grow in the gospel, is as they come to see that there is greater joy in Christ than, than anything else. That means, therefore, that where there are intellectual objections, I can't just sweep them away. People need to see that, that Jesus is trustworthy there. When it comes to sin, when it comes to temptation, when it comes to pressures on mental health, we want to see that there's there's joy in Jesus there. Now, in this particular uh, moment, there are all sorts of challenges. Um, there are challenges of gathering. Um, here in here in England, at least, a lot of people leave home to um, start their studies when they go to college or, or university. And they, they're not quite sure what they're going to do church-wise. A lot of people are, are in quite a lot of limbo, I think. Uh, do I just keep tuning into stuff at home or do I seek to find a local church here? So one of the things that we've sought to do um, within UCF is to essentially move uh, the building block of our um, ministry is in student groups of between three and eight. And ideally, they'll meet in person. But if for whatever reason that's that's not possible, um, they'll be able to meet online uh, without losing momentum, without uh, without losing step. Um, and such that if people do drift away, we notice that they're not there. That, so that's the kind of hardware. Within that, then, the software is let's absolutely go after joy in Christ, which seeks to show the superiority of Jesus in all of these different dimensions. And with the expectation that as we pray together and as our hearts are satisfied in him, that will spill out into blessing and love and conversation particularly in the the kind of pockets of university in which students are particularly locked into at this time. Yeah, that is very, very helpful. Um, and just such a picture as well of like, that it's really Christ who, um, it's really Christ who draws and it's Christ who uh, keeps. Um, that's just a real encouragement. Um, yeah, so uh, let me see, Pete, any just like last words or final words to, um, any maybe practical tips or uh, anything else at all? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think we mustn't be bewildered by this moment. I think um, I've been really helped by that uh, little phrase in Zephaniah where he says, don't despise the day of small things. Mm. And much of, I, I suppose, the scale of our ministry at the moment feels as though it's just quite small. Um, we're talking about small groups. Uh, there may be smaller numbers of students that we have lots of contact with. Uh, I think here in the UK, we, we're absolutely committed to getting these new students into church, but I think it's going to take a while longer. I think it's, you know, th th there are challenges. And it's tempting in a culture, I think, which celebrates bigger being better <laughs> to just think, just lose heart and think, goodness, I'm claiming to speak on the part of the living God who created all things. Surely, surely, if he were to do a significant work among students at the moment, it would it would come with bells and whistles. It would be a firework display. And actually, that's not our God. You know, we sing at Christmas time, how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given that, that as God makes himself known in our world, it's as if he arrives with a whisper away in a manger in Bethlehem. Mm -hmm. our, our God loves irony. He loves to take the weak things and say, right, okay, now I'm ready to, to roll up my sleeves and show that I'm strong. And so 
I think we must just not lose our nerve at this point that even if we're working with a smaller number of students and even actually that we end up having to sacrifice something of breadth through depth, this may actually be a, a moment in which which could be massively significant for discipleship of Christian students, but also a means of which 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 God is, is molding us for for a unique period of mission ahead. Um, so I think there are all sorts of threats, but, but we must hold on to the fact that our God doesn't despise small things and therefore we mustn't despise small things either. I think that's really, really helpful because I think so often in our ministries and I know in, in mine, you know, I've just come out of a prayer meeting there and we've just been reflecting on the challenge of, you know, we're, we're outside doing international stuff today and, and there's no international students out because anybody who is here as an international student at Queen's is currently uh, self-isolating and suddenly all those numbers, all those contacts, everything's changed. And so it's, it's just, it's a really helpful reminder, I think a real encouragement, even in this time, even as we feel like it's difficult, there is still work to be done and, and work that the Lord brings is fruitful, um, no matter what size that is and however that looks. And so, yeah, that's really helpful. Yeah. And it's encouraging that the um, like the students that we're currently like ministering with and, and encouraging and equipping, they're like uniquely placed where God has them, but also that student workers and churches are now uniquely placed as well to help them uh, find their place in ministry. Um, so that's really yeah that God has has brought us through all these things and um, yeah that He's encouraging us as well. So thanks that you're a part of that, Pete. That's so um, such a privilege to be able to hear your stories and. Uh, yeah, I hear your insights. Yeah, oh, thanks, mate, thanks, pleasure. I should say as well, uh, for anyone on this call, we are hoping on the 8th of October at 12, uh, 12 o'clock, 12 midday, over lunchtime, we're hoping to bring a gathering of uh, student workers and church leaders together from across the island. Pete will, will be there with us. He'll be looking forward to taking your questions off the back of some of this uh, material you've heard today, but we're hoping then to kind of delve into this a little bit more and have an opportunity really to pray for one another as well, to hear about how we have been really wrestling across the island in different contexts from Isabel in Waterford to me in Belfast and what that's looked like as we've tried to implement some of this stuff with freshers and what we can do to support one another. So we'd love it if you could join us then on the 8th of October as well. And thank you for joining us for this podcast. Yeah. Yeah.